Hello and good day, beautiful, marvelous, fantastic podcast family. I hope that wherever you are on this planet, in this universe, you are doing fantastic. And I am sending you all of my love, energy, good vibes, and well wishes through the airwaves to wherever you are to embrace and to have for yourself and use as you wish. And I just suggest that those are for good intentions. We have an amazing show for you today. We have Alex Sakaris on. He is the host of the wildly popular Skeptical podcast. He's interviewed people like Martin Scorsese um, and um, Rupert Sheldrake. And we had discussions before the show, after the show, and we stayed in touch. And this guy is definitely a skeptic. Um, and he's done some absolutely phenomenal research, some phenomenal work. And in this episode, we talk about why evil matters. He wrote a book called that, Why Evil Matters, How Science and Religion Flubbed a Big One. And it's such an important topic. And it really hit me between the eyes as we did this discussion and we stayed in touch. We also talk about MK Ultra, Satanic Cults, UFO Phenomenon, and more. This is a amazing episode. There's so much we discuss in here. We talk about Riz work and AI, how to heal the body, uh, Wim Hof. He starts asking me questions, which is hilarious. Um, the observer effect, questioning evil, uh, cognitive dissonance, remote viewing, uh, the UFO phenomenon, uh, magic, psychology, and hypnosis. So Alex is incredibly knowledgeable and skeptical. And, uh, you know, it was a really great podcast. And I've enjoyed staying in touch with him because we've shared a lot of information, and a lot of knowledge, because he's definitely a truth seeker as well. So you're going to love this episode. If you enjoy it, please share it on your Facebook, share it on Instagram, tag me, tag Alex. Um, please support the show by leaving a review. They're pure gold. Uh, consider becoming a patron. Even a, a dollar a month is massively helpful. And uh, for those of you who want to go a step further and you want to learn a step-by-step -step master system for overcoming self-sabotage, strengthening your connection with spirit, and designing and living the life of your dreams, check out the absolutely phenomenal Soul Compass course that is free when you join the Academy. Rather than making that a four or $500 course, I just put it free in the Academy for any member. And it also, uh, in the Academy, you have brainwave entrainment guided meditations you have sound bowl you have binaural beats you have exclusive training from guests exclusive interviews um i should put more up there but uh as far as exclusive interviews but what i've done is exclusive content from guests and i don't want to overwhelm but there's some amazing stuff over there so check out become a, an academy member go to mattbelair.com and you can find the academy uh there and um for those of you guys who want to go even further than that been working with some amazing people and if you're really committed to taking the step and getting very clear on who you are what your life purpose is and how to live and create a life where you're living your vocation where you're living your dreams and you're ready to make that leap go to mattbelair.com forward slash coaching and i will happily help you out with love and be honored to work with you. My clients right now are really amazing. A lot more people are reaching out in these times because they're reassessing and just considering everything in their life and ready to put in the effort to really um, look at themselves and what they want to create and how they want to contribute in this world. So I uh, would love to work with you and that's it. So thank you guys for listening. Um, the best way to support the show overall is to do three kind acts wherever you are in the world or at least one. Uh, you can do this by writing a friend a note. You can do it by listening, by asking someone's name, by sending a smile, by just doing any nice thing you can in your community. The world needs that more than ever. So please consider doing that if you are listening to the show and want to support. And that's it. So let's wrap this up and come into a state of peace and coherence. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath. 
and now let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, fiber, molecule, and atom of your being with peace, contentment, joy, power, connection, creativity, love, compassion, energy, enthusiasm, and ready to take on this absolutely phenomenal episode with Alex Zakaris. Hello and welcome to the Mastermind Body and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. Today's guest is a successful entrepreneur turned science podcaster. In 2007, he launched Skeptico, which has become the number one podcast covering the science of human consciousness. He has appeared on many popular syndicated radio talk shows and podcasts and is well-known within the parapsychology and near-death experience research communities. He is the author of the upcoming book, Why Evil Matters, How Science and Religion Fumbled a Big One. Welcome to the show, Alex Sakaris. Hey, Matt. Thank you. That was awesome. Yeah, man. It's great to have you on the show. I'm excited to have you here. I love the premise of your podcast. As I said before we kind of started, I've seen Skeptico out there and I thought it was a little bit more on, uh, I don't, I don't know, like more sciencey side, but I didn't realize that you were, you know, looking into the parapsychology side of things. So I'm so excited to dive in and hear. I think parapsychologists, I think parapsychologists would be, you know, take a front with that. I mean, what do you mean? Parapsychology is science, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I feel like that's the most exciting space to be. Um, I'd love for you to share a little bit about your background. I was going to ask you, like, did you have an experience that made you wanted to go into this field? Or why don't you just give us a little bit about your background, um, starting the podcast and how you got to where you are today and writing the book. And, and we'll dive into, I'm sure, a lot of great topics. Sure. And then I got to come back and tell you, I was, that little dig about parapsychology kind of has a another spin to it because I think what I found eventually was that parapsychologists were kind of lost in the weeds a little bit, but you know, as you said in the bio, I was basically a business guy, always had um, this interest in the big picture questions and always just assumed everybody did. You know what I mean? I was listening to one of your interviews and, and, and you were kind of relating to a, a fellow podcast and you're like, hey man, isn't this cool? I get to just do my thing here without, you know, having to have a real job kind of thing. And my thing was like, let me make some dough so I can go do my thing without having a real job. So, you know, you kind of short circuited the process. I didn't know you could do that or I would have done it your way. So, uh, but that was my thing. And, um, so I always thought these big picture questions, who are we, why are we here, were just something that was driving everyone nuts as much as they were driving me nuts. So that's when I started podcasting. I said, hey, this is a great vehicle to, you know, call up Dean Radin, call up Rupert Sheldrick, call up the people that I thought were interesting and kind of saying something different that challenged what I thought I knew about science, what these people were telling us about the way the world worked. and and I was hooked. So, you know, that was a long time ago and I didn't look back. I loved it. I always was, you know, I, I really uh, saw a real affinity for, you know, what you're doing. I mean, I've always been like self-help, you know, business self-help, how to get better, biohacking, how to get better, how to get better, how to get better, you know, go to school, go to school. And that kind of thing has always been my, my thing. So. I love it, man. And so 
Well, I have a lot of questions for you. I love when you talk about the intersection of spirituality, consciousness, biohacking. Did you? And, and you're looking at near-death experiences and you're talking about parapsychology as well. I'm curious about the frontiers of consciousness and what is possible. And in your research, what are you noticing? When I look at the work of, let's say, autobiography of a yogi, you know, that's like a like a yogi saying they're experiencing something out of this world, right? We have firsthand accounts of people, maybe it's near-death experience, maybe it's through meditation, maybe it's just one of those experiences in their life where it just shatters the realm of what we perceive to be physical reality. And even in that realm, you know, we perceive such a small uh, bit of the light spectrum, small bit of the sound spectrum. So what is reality anyway? What is consciousness when we have like these huge blinders on, but really in materialist science, we're saying it's only what we can see, touch and hear, but then you go into the quantum realm and it gets all wonky. So we do have some amazing experiences about the frontiers of consciousness. And I'm just curious how, you know, what you've experienced and, and uh, what you think about all of that. Wow, you know, you kind of uh, laid out the whole world there, in, in, <laughs> at least according to my path, you really did. So yoga, um, you know, in my early 20s, and I don't know why, but I just, you know, yoga, and I see this yoga class on TV, you know, and I'll start doing it. And I always, I always remember this, I always remember this, it was like, I, I am like, at the beginning, we were chatting a little bit, and you said, hey, have you got any stories? I'm like, man, I I am so spiritually dense. I don't know why I, you know, do what I do because I don't have any <laughs> extraordinary experiences. Spiritually dense, but you know, it's it's like that 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 key first experience. So I'm doing yoga with the lady on TV. I don't know why, but I'm doing it. And at the end, she goes, "Okay, now you're going to sit back in shavasana, and you're going to calm your mind, and you're going to quiet your mind." And it's like for an instant, and you know what I'm talking about, Matt, because you're a meditator. For an instant, my mind went silent. And I was like, that, what? that changed everything. I thought that voice in my head was me. And when that went silent, even for a second, I instantly understood that there was something else there, you know, because the, the constant chatter wasn't there and I was still there. And I really, uh, I really got interested in yoga. Um, you know, autobiography of a yogi. Yogananda's place is in Encinitas. You know, right up the road from where I live right now. I was doing the correspondence classes while I was doing my startup in Dallas. You know, I'm like, you know, how you can send away for the. Uh, self-realization fellowship uh, oh like are you talking about like old school where you mail like you mail it and then you get the mail exactly. back? that's exactly. so satisfying we don't do that anymore receiving something in the mail you know like you used to get the cds my cousin and i were talking about this old hypnosis course and we got it in cds and crappy print it yourself but it was so exciting to get that in the mail absolutely absolutely <laughs> so i was right there you know and not not knowing at all how to reconcile that, you know, like that's such a great touch point that you, that you make because autobiography, you know, anyone who's ever read it, the first, the first 30 pages, just, if you get past, it's mind blowing, you know, shape shifting, time shifting, bilocation, all this stuff said from a guy who's just talking about it matter of factly. And it's a book, you know, the wonderful thing about the book, then you flip over and there's the pictures, you know, the photos. So it's like, this is a real guy, and he says this guy's a real guy, and he said all this stuff happened. So it directly challenges you to say, as you said, either I have a very limited understanding of what this is all about, or you know, I have to, 
it's all crap, or I have a very, very limited, narrow understanding. Now, you know, for me, what I did, and I kind of took a misstep, but it was, it's the misstep that I think a lot of people take. I wound it all the way back from that. I go, no, no, I can't jump in those waters. I got to take it back. Let me start with science, you know, and let me start with like parapsychology. They're saying that telepathy is maybe possible. Okay, let me handle that little bit, you know, and that's when you go to, you know, the Dean Radin, Rupert Sheldrick, and I got in and I just, I drilled those things. I mean, I did like 10 shows, you know, interviewed everybody involved, got a big debate between Sheldrick and Richard Wiseman, the skeptic in, you know, the UK and stuff like that. But it was really incredibly satisfying for me in terms of getting to the bottom of that and realizing that there's just a definitely a there there and these other guys are just lying. I mean, they're just, they're just lying. They're promoting and propping up for reasons that kind of get really complicated. And I think it very conspiratorial. I eventually found I had no inkling of that at the beginning. But I mean, science maintains this idea that you're a biological robot in a meaningless universe, and they push that in every possible way because it just is an absurd idea. And uh, yet we're all kind of, you know, have to kind of go, well, I'm not quite sure, maybe it is. Hmm. And well, to be clear, like when you say, you know, they're lying, are you saying like, I think that there's fibbers on both sides, you know, even in the, in the, in the out there side, I think there are people making stuff up, like whether it's in the ET realm and things like that. But I do think there's a lot of legit people, but are you finding it in like the establishment as well? Because uh, that's where I've seen a lot of it is like trying to maintain old systems in a materialist uh, ideology when, when there are definitely, um, there is definitely research and evidence for something more, you know, to go beyond a system. Well, there's a ton to unpack there. So <laughs> to get really specific, I'll tell you a specific example of lying, deception. And Sheldrick, who is Dr. Rupert Sheldrick, if your listeners don't know, Cambridge biologist, published in science, super bright guy, super British, you know, tight tie, you know, not a a wild guy, uh, but brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And not a fuddy-duddy guy either, just interesting guy. He does this experiment. Fantastic. This is the first, this is like way back skeptical. Man, I don't know, it's probably 10 years at this point or something. He does this really cool experiment, Matt. He says, uh, again, he's a biologist. So biologists are about kind of collecting stories, collecting, you know, samples out there and about the, the way things work and then seeing if it works. He's getting a bunch of stories about dogs that know when their owners are coming home. Dogs that know when their owners are coming home. So you, and he, he always says this and I always relate it. You know, he goes, look, a lot of people take that the wrong way, you know, and they go, yeah, of course my dog knows when I'm coming home because I eliminated those in the first five minutes. You know, you're, you come home at the same time and your dog is waiting for you. There's not a mystery there to be explored, you know? The dog runs up to the door two minutes before you get there because he hears the door, he hears the sound of your car. Not a mystery. He goes, no, no, no. I was collecting stories of very, very strange occurrences. People are coming home at odd hours and, you know, their partner's reporting 15 minutes before you come home. Boom, it's there. He goes through and he kind of puts out this inquiry, says, hey, does this happen to anybody? 
And he starts getting like, he ran it in a newspaper way back in the day. And he starts getting these reports. People are going, yeah, yeah, my dog. So he finds this one dog. This dog really seems to know. And he does hundreds of tests with this dog. And this dog is on the money, no matter if they change cars, they change how long, you know, the person's out. They even have them go out overnight, you know. That dog only comes to the door when this person is, has the intent to come home. So it's clearly a case where there's some kind of psychic connection because these people are so bonded. And you know what, this is one of those things that I, I love, like this is kind of a really skeptical, quintessential skeptical story. Because like one part of it is, you don't really doubt that, do you? I mean, you kind of know dogs kind of are special. You know, we all know that, that animals just are kind of special. And you, you think maybe it took a really good scientist to figure it out, but you kind of know that. So he does that. He publishes all this work. And this is back in the day when skeptics were skeptics. Now it's kind of, we don't have that same fire-breathing skeptic Richard Dawkins kind of thing. But there was a guy. <laughs> Those your old days, huh? <laughs> Those are the old days. There was a guy in the UK, the kind of top public psychologist, if you will, at the time. His name was Dr. Richard Wiseman. He had a you know, high-ranking position, stuff like that. So he comes out to debunk Sheldrick. And Sheldrick says, fine, I'll set up the experiment with the dog. You can use my setup. You can use my cameras, the whole thing. Just come in, repeat my experiment, and we'll do it. And he comes in, and he fakes it. He changes the protocol. He comes in, he changes the protocol. He never reports back to Sheldrick. And he goes around Sheldrick and he reports, oh, I debunked it. The dog didn't come home. He like changed the criteria by which he measured it. You know, it was no longer if the dog waited, it's if the dog waited. I go in, it take way longer than I've already gone on this story. But it was so telling to me because we really, we really, exhaustively went through this on the show and I interviewed both of them on the show and I eventually got Wiseman to admit he wouldn't own up to being deceptive but he admitted that Sheldrick's data is what it is which means it's kind of game over because Sheldrick did like 200 trials and Wiseman did five trials but everyone still hung on to the idea that it had been bunked, debunked by Wiseman and all the rest of this intentionally deceptive so I could go, go through example after example, near-death experience, where these the skeptics are intentionally deceptive. They're trying to, they will not give an inch on this idea that, that, that you are a biological robot in a meaningless universe. Mm. That there's no meaning in the universe. Your life can't possibly have meaning other than as a social construct, quote unquote, it doesn't have any meaning and that you really don't have consciousness. You really aren't aware. It is just firing of your brain that you're interpreting a certain way. And again, that is my conclusion that that is one of the great conspiracies that slips by us is that why science is trying to maintain this materialistic, you know, it can't possibly be true. There's really nothing to any of it kind of mean. I mean, what do you, you kind of push back on that. What, were you, do you not, 
no, no, I, I agree. I just wanted to make sure that it was on the uh, on the the rationalist science view. I was wondering if you had a specific example. So yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. That's been my experience as well. And it's cool to see the shift, like you said, because I've, for me, I grew up a martial artist and was very interested in the realms of consciousness. And I knew there was something beyond this, but I couldn't prove it scientifically because I'm not a scientist. And you know, I was just a kid. And as I go through my life, I'd have these experiences that you know science doesn't really have a um, room for but in martial arts we taught you know there's people breaking stone I went to train with Shaolin monks and all these amazing things and I just felt like it was real and I didn't need science to prove it and that's what I've noticed in like the rational materialist you know this is the way it is but if you look back at history and even science there's actually a, a great scene and it's always sunny in Philadelphia because they're like, obviously Jesus didn't exist, right? You know, that's all old baloney. He goes, science is the way. And he puts this great presentation together and, and he has to convince his, uh, you know, the people that run the bar with him about how science has been wrong over and over and over. And we're just expanding. We only know a little bit of a little bit. And I feel like the way you describe it, especially just brings clarity to why I don't want to live that life personally, and I don't know why anyone else would to, have, to be a meaningless robot that that is not connected to a bigger picture and is not engaged and actually cooperative and affecting the reality and the uh, life and the world that we're in. You know that that makes it for a very dull and awful existence. And so, do you think that when you started skeptical, you were a little bit more on that side, and then you kind of opened up, and then you wanted to see what kind of proof that you could find? Um, totally. And, and I also think that, you know, the way you just ran it down there is again, a case where you kind of did an end run. And I understand that from the martial arts standpoint, which is awesome. You know, like you're proving it to yourself every day, you know, probably, you know, you're proving it to yourself every day. And it just leads to a level of confidence that I think most people just don't have. And I think that, you know, and I had a little bit of that with yoga, but maybe more at a, at a later date. But the reason I, I pound this point so much, and I love the kind of work that you do, you know, and kind of working one-on-one -on -one with people and coaching people is this can be a real barrier for people because they get really programmed and locked into and not even fully aware of the power that this meme has on them because they don't understand it as a meme they don't see it as that like like your your end run was just to say well shit i've met too many incredible people that do too many incredible things right before my eyes to you know just deny this so you know i'm not gonna worry too much about what they say i know my inner truth kind of really directly if you just go to school normally and you just listen to the science presentations and then you go watch TV and you do all the rest of that, how would you not have doubts? It's like someone who's, you know, heavily indoctrinated into a, a religion, you know, and then you just hear about that over and over again, right? And then people go, and then in my 20s, you know, I were in my early 20s, I was at college and somebody showed me how the Bible has all these contradictions in it. And my world fell apart. It's like, hell yes, your world fell apart because no one ever told you they had just sold you a bunch of bull, you know? Well, that's a really great point there because, you know, for me, I had to figure, some people call it like an awakening or something like that. Like I never really had that. I just, I just always thought a little bit differently. And 
when I hear of other people and how they process the world, I learn about how they think because I have never naturally thought that way. And it's, it just seems ridiculous to you, it, right? Yeah, it seems ridiculous. It's so different. And so yeah. I think a big piece of that is, is fear. And one of the things that I studied really intensely was psychology because one of the initial things I was curious about was war. I didn't understand war. I didn't understand uh, how we had starvation. It made no sense. And this went into psychological operations. And I feel like that's, and I'm curious your thoughts, um, but that's a little bit what we're into now because with the coronavirus, I was never afraid. Number one, because I'm not afraid of my own death. It could be a 99% death rate. And now will I be afraid that that could get me? Yeah, because I care about myself and my loved ones and my family. But um, the difference is like I've, I've accepted my mortality and I've experienced things that allow me to know it continues. And, I, and I'm also not in control of this. I know that there is no way I can control this. I can influence it a bit. But this grand mystery is way more powerful than me. Um, but I also believe in my immune system. And what I, I've looked at self healing. I had a guy, uh, former pro boxer just reach out that read my book. And the book isn't a masterpiece. It is a good book. Because what I did is I studied a lot of techniques over my life, figured out which ones worked, because I practiced them all. I knew that the mind was powerful and it influenced our body and it influenced reality. So he picked up the book when he was injured. They told him he wasn't going to box again. He's a pro boxer. Uh, he's not going to throw a punch for six months. Within three months, he's in competition applying simple mindset stuff that I didn't invent that I learned about and heard other people had success with and applied. So it shows you that we influence our own healing and then that's an empowered state. But if everything outside is going to kill you and then to keep you safe, you need to do this thing and then you need to fall in line, it doesn't equate with me. And I start to question it, you know, really quickly. And I feel like that's what, what's going on right now is everybody's kind of looking at their mortality, saying, holy smokes, like I could die. What's going on here? And really questioning things. And I feel like a lot of people as well um, are just questioning how they interact in the world. In Buddhism, they'll talk about um, right livelihood, you know, is what you're doing you know, in harmony with who you are and your environment. And I feel like if we can move that way, we're going to be a little bit uh, more fulfilled. And uh, you can comment on that, or I can ask you a, a bunch of questions because I'm curious about a lot of stuff. So what did, what did the boxer do from the book? What was his main kind of tool that he took away? I'm supposed to be interviewing you, but I'll ask, I'll answer the question. <laughs> um, I, I gotta know, man. I can't leave that out there. What yeah, should I yeah, be doing? Um, it's, so there's a variety of techniques, but very simply meditation on the intention and what you say. So when I discovered this, I was like uh, 19, I think. And I just read a book on self-healing. I've been to Dr. Joe's work where people are curing themselves of, or uh, are, are healing themselves of really intense things. Now it's not a hundred percent. Nothing is a hundred percent. But when I train extreme sports athletes, or I'm going to go do a huge jump um, on my snowboard and maybe backflip a 70 foot jump. If I'm going up there thinking, maybe I'll land it, you know, maybe not the state of mind you want to be in. I am going to land it. So what about healing? People say, Oh, I'm getting sick. Oh, now I am sick. Now I'm sick for seven days. Now I'm getting better. You are sick, so then I will get sick. That's not true. So all you got to do is just tell yourself what you want. And so in, in the amazing healings, it's the same thing. You know, I've had a lot of guests on my show that have cured themselves of cancer. Same thing. Uh, clean food, clean water, uh, removing all stress, exercise, and that's giving you, and uh, positive mindset gives you the best probability. It's just like the backflip. It's not 100%. I want to land the backflip really badly. Could I frig it up? Absolutely. So I 
prepare my mind, get very centered and focused and visualize it. So the boxer, what he would do, this was hurt. He would say the affirmation, my body's healing. However, he wants to word that in his own way, spend time in visualization and just willing it to happen, directing his uh, consciousness and, and doing that over and over and over again through meditation. And there are studies upon studies and experiences and firsthand accounts of people having really amazing healing experiences from that. And have you read um, Yogananda's book of affirmations? Maybe. I mean, not, not, it's a a tiny book. It's a tiny book and it is fantastic because the premise of that book is basically saying, why do you say an affirmation and it doesn't work? It's because you're adding no willpower. And so if we live in an electromagnetic universe and you want to bring something into fruition, you might say, Oh, I'd, I'd like this healing. And you on electromagnetic scale, maybe it's like one out of a thousand. And if you can imagine a mother whose car has been turned over and needs to get her burning her baby out of a burning car, this has happened before. And they put all of their will. They don't think about how much they could squat, how much they could deadlift. They move that car out. And we now have an extraordinary experience. And that's who you and I want to interview. How did that happen? I don't know. Like I willed it with every ounce of my being. And he goes, if you can do that, if you can add your life force and will to the thing you want to create and that be aligned with who you are, it's not like I'm going to will myself into a Ferrari and a bunch of money. That's a bunch, that's stupidity. You know what I mean? There's this, yes, if you love Ferraris, that could be a byproduct. There's nothing wrong with that, but you want to will it into some sort of meaningful thing um, by your own expression. So does that answer the question? Yeah, I I think that's (laughs) always the part. I mean, I, I totally live that and have li- lived it for the longest time. And when I was, when I had my biz, I mean, I was doing everything. You know, that's one of the great things about uh, entrepreneurship and about, tra- that's the great thing about money. I mean, let's be honest. I never talked about this, but it's a great thing about money. It's a clarifier. You know, it's a way of keeping score. You either get it or you don't. You either close that deal or you don't. You make the money or you don't make the money. I, I-, I was challenged. <laughs> I had an MBA. I, had, uh, I was in the PhD program at uh, University of Arizona. I was a graduate assistant at, uh, at Arizona. Uh, boom, I moved right in. I was in artificial intelligence. It was a hot field. I was making... Back in the day. When was that? Back. Back in the day. Oh, so I, what's going on with AI? I've heard some crazy stuff about AI. I wonder, do you dive into... See, I was back years? in the sketchy AI, the expert <laughs> system AI, before it was real AI. You know, I interviewed, uh, have you ever heard of or talked to Riz Verk? No. Check him out. Really super interesting guy. And he's like, you know, it's fun to talk to him because he's like AI of this generation. Really knows it. He's MIT game lab, super uh, serial entrepreneur, you know super bright and uh, but you know he kind of spotted me right I goes oh yeah you're back back in the first wave you know before <laughs> it was real but so you know kind of two points on that one you try everything you know you try everything because I failed I, I I failed initially I thought I failed I mean I had the same company but it went through its ups and downs let's say you know the same company for 10 years and I eventually turned it into something else and sold it and made money you know made good money but um, in terms of affirmations, oh shit, I was every day in front of the mirror, you know, saying stuff, doing stuff, question two to two, you know, uh, every, you know, Tony Robbins walking on fire and, you know, uh, <laughs> Stephen Covey, you know, in the tapes in the car over and over again, 20, 20 times over and over, everything you can. And I mean, mm-hmm. I, I kind of think, 
like with the book and you're talking about your book and, and the affirmations and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I'll throw all of it at it. It just, I think it works differently for different people and you got to try everything. So, you know, that was kind of one of the things I thought we'd kind of go into because I'm still into that kind of hacking the system stuff. And there's a parallel part of that, which is spirituality that says, I don't think it doesn't matter. None of this stuff matters, it, which is really cool because you seem to be holding the same two things together, you know, like you're going to die, you know, it's like, what? I don't have to, there's nothing to do. There's nothing to gain, you know, but as long as I'm here, let's try the ice bath, you know, the, yeah. the great thing about, the great thing about, have you ever done the ice bath? Yeah, I actually did, uh, rather than the ice bath, I did the ice in when I was in Nelson at minus 20 for a winter. That's well, I saw the ice bath, but being Canadian, I was like, if I do it, I want to do it right in like the coldest ice water. So I did that for a winter <laughs> It was, you know, that is a spiritual experience because number, and it's mind, body, spirit. That's what martial arts is. You're walking out to the water. It's minus 30. You don't want to do it at all. You have to tell yourself to go do it. Then you're in the water and your body is saying, get out. <laughs> and some of these videos and this is like, get out. And so the mind is just like, no. And, and the first few times were terrible, but when I was able to kind of make the switch, I could stay in there more comfortable and it's this really interesting internal dialogue. And again, just pushing yourself, right? A little bit further than what you think is possible. And I feel like that um, helps you build courage because a lot of what's going on now is fear. And, and I've been asked a lot about fear and I've been understanding that. It's just, just pushing yourself. It's important to really know your body. You would know this from yoga. It's going to give you that energy and that confidence in other situations. Totally. I mean, I love the way you said that. You know, like, so... I got interested a few years ago and I, Wim Hof, you know, which so many people he's brought into it. And he is just a yogi. If you ever look into him, he's just a yogi. You know, he talks all the yogi stuff. He does all the yogi stuff. All his, <laughs> all his asanas are, you know, straight asanas and stuff like that. And that's not a put down. I mean, I love the fact that that's what he's about. And he does, you know, the other thing we did, like, eats one meal a day. You know, I do the, the fast five. I mean, I just eat in the five hour window. He does even more, you know, one meal and all that stuff. But I digress because here's what turned me on to Wim Hof, kind of like your Canadian story. He's from the Netherlands. He is, his wife has committed suicide. He has three kids to raise. He's just traumatized as anyone could imagine. And he's walking along the street and there's a frozen pond. And he goes, I'm jumping in because I don't know why I'm jumping in. I'm not going to kill myself, but I want to do the most outrageous thing I can because I just can't, you know, this thing's going nuts inside of me. And he, jumps in the pond and he has that moment of clarity that you get, you know, when all else is out of the way then for that while. And that began, that began his journey. But so I'm watching a lot of his videos and stuff like that and I'm listening to him. And the hook for me, Matt, was related to you. He goes, cold. He goes, I hate the fucking cold. <laughs> I'm like, ah, okay. I hate the fucking cold too but I'm a yogi like you. So it's a daily reminder that it doesn't really matter what my mind is saying, what that little voice is saying. I mean, it matters, but it doesn't matter. I can choose to have it not matter. And I can be, you know, doing my, my riding my bike or whatever. And every day it'll be like, no, not today. You know, skip today. You can take today off this now. I'm like, chatter all you want, man. We're going home and we're getting in the ice bath. It doesn't matter what you say, you know? And I think there's a, 
tremendous. All the things that you're saying about discipline and not, I, I don't like the way it's often portrayed on the internet as some kind of, you know, I mean, to me, it's about that personal dialogue that it's creating that you talked about at, with the ice bath. It's that, it, it, it's a direct experience of, a daily experience of what your mind wants to limit you to and what your mind wants to tell you that maybe isn't in the best interest of the higher you, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, th I think, you know, you brought up a lot of great points there. Our mind, it's always looking for the easiest way out. It's seeking comfort. It's not seeking challenge. And you were framing it really well when you're talking about like the affirmations and things like that. They don't always work. You know, um, I can put myself in the right mindset to do something in extreme sports and it might not work out and I could get injured. I can give myself the best opportunity. And when I keep trying new things and trying new things, you're going to learn what is a little bit more effective, what isn't as effective. And in creation, when I summarize Zen athlete, I feel like it's such important. I love Zen principles. And so I say, you know, if I'm going to teach it to a kid, when I want to teach them three fundamental principles. The first is you're going to take a basketball shot, uh, take three deep breaths and clear your mind. An individual who can stop the inner chatter and clear their mind for just a second and a person who can't, there's a fundamental dif difference in consciousness and freedom and how we navigate the world. The second thing is visualize the shot going in. This shows you that you influence your reality. Third thing is uh, you missed the shot. What's the most powerful and positive perspective you can have in that situation? You don't always choose what happens in this reality, but you do get to choose how you respond. And if we can choose how we respond, it's going to just apply these three things over and over again. We're going to have a much different life, a different life experience. And if you can be whole, complete, harmonious and full of self-love and worth in the process without achieving the business goal, without doing the podcast, without living the life of your dreams and be content the entire process, you've really nailed it. Is it way easier said than done? Absolutely. Um, and I think that it's applying those spiritual principles over time, basic principles of how we manifest. I feel like we haven't been taught in directing our consciousness and our will through our action, integrity, words, thoughts, deeds, and emotions, we get to see quote unquote miracles. Like the client comes out of nowhere or things just kind of fall in place. You know, you do have to have the effort and I'm with you too, because you know, teaching flow state and um, the, uh, let's say, conscious community sometimes pissed me off a little bit because I'm a martial artist and, and a high-level athlete, and I've trained a lot of high-level athletes. And they say, oh, if you just use visualization or you just use this, like, there was a thing going around the, you know, I only do what an FES is, you know, like a freak FES. And I was like, yeah, I understand the philosophy of that. But you would have never have one pro athlete ever if they only did what they wanted to do. You actually need to do the thing you don't want to do half the time to get to where you actually want to go, you know. And so um, this hard work and this effort is, is such an important piece with the firm vision of where you'd like to go. And so what I'd like to ask you is with your pursuit in, in consciousness and, and what you think is possible for like manifesting – what have you learned as far as biohacking strategies, tools that are most effective or how could you summarize that in a way for either your previous self or somebody who's really materialist? And sometimes you could just be like a homie. I got great friends that have families and it's like, you know, I want to make a change map, but I don't know how. And I realize they need to put some effort in. They need to take a leap of faith. They need to get clear and do all these things. 
but uh, it's scary no matter where they are if to change up your whole old reality and start to live in this new way is very very scary it's, it's a lot of letting go same with the basketball shot or the snowboard thing that's a universal principle there's a spot where you got to let go there's a spot when I've gone up the 60 foot jump on my snowboard and I've off I'm off you know the lip now and I am soaring through the air I've, there's there's another you know presence at work and that's a part of it too you got to let go and um, see what's going to happen yeah you know that's a tough one because it was actually I was going to kind of kind of ask you because you're, you're kind of bouncing back and forth between two worlds that I've always had problems integrating you know I've had problems integrating the manifest world which I was extremely focused on with the intent of leaving it behind and that's what I tried to do you know and I didn't seek integration because I didn't see how that was possible and I'm still highly suspicious of it in a way that is that you want to make the dough just try and make the freaking dough you know what I mean? Just try and make, don't do bad things. You don't have to do bad things, but get the job done. You know, the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. If that's your main thing, do that. The spiritual part of it, I understand my understanding of it, Matt, and that's what I was going to both answer and ask, is that it fundamentally operates on a different set of principles that are, and, and, and you know, like you were saying, in the conscious community, it kind of peeves you a little bit. The thing that peeves me a little bit is the kind of spiritual materialism, you know, kind of uh, piling up points or that this is going to be better, or that this is improved. Ultimately, it seems to be about something fundamentally different of, of a whole different kind, you know what I mean? But I want to respect where I came from and what was so important to me and what is so important to other people in terms of manifesting, in terms of getting what you came for kind of thing, because I'm there, I'm there with you and I don't want to deny that. But is that, is, is it a different, is it really as smoothly integrated with the spiritual as you're talking about? Like, how do you mean, like, uh, like if you are going to manifest in the spiritual realm? Like when you go, over to, you go over to India, right? And the classic Indian guy, you know, Neem Karoli Baba, you know, somebody <laughs> I thought was pretty cool for a while. He's the broken bowl, you know, sadhu. He's walking around from town to town, and his only possession is the broken bowl that he wears on his head, you know? And he does that because he feels like he needs to get clean of all of it. All of it has to go for him to get there. So that's not me, but I look at that and I say, I kind of get that in a way. He isn't saying, oh, you can have it all. You know, you can be super successful, you know, get over, manifest everything you want. And then you can leverage that into a super, you know, spiritual experience too. He's going, no, as soon as you realize that it's not about any of that stuff, then give it up and just, you know, go begging. Mm. That's not me. I'm just saying I, I struggle with where, I don't even struggle with it. I don't struggle with it. I wonder about it. 
Mm, well, you know, I don't know if I'm, I'll try to respond and you can tell what you think. I think that we should all do whatever we feel called to do. And so even if that means chase money your whole life, then go, I don't care what you do. Like that's your own prerogative. Does it make you happy? Maybe, maybe not. I feel like we need to set our values up first. And so whenever I'm coaching somebody, we, st- we talk about values and how you want to live. And I love asking the question, if you had a million dollars a day forever, what would you do? Directly deposit in your bank account. And Alan Watts does a great talk on this. He says, you know, people would ask him all the time, what, what, you would, what do you want to do? And what's your vocation called? He's like, well, what do you want to do? He's like, he's just like, do that and figure out how to make the money happen. And I can say too, doing it the opposite of you, I've, it's, money's been a challenge. And so that's why, you know, now I have a daughter and figuring out the business side and making it all work. It's been challenging and I use all those techniques. And so, you know, it's, it's been a very challenging ride doing it the opposite way because there is no security. And in doing it that way, I've, I've witnessed and experienced real financial and other miracles watching the universe step in to support the work. And so for me, I just think it's getting clear on what it is that you want to do and how you want to live because when I was a snowboard bum in Whistler, I just wanted to snowboard and I figured out a way to snowboard 150 days a year and pay my rent. And I wouldn't change that for anything. I wanted to figure out how to travel the world freely and I had to work six months in cars and it was a crazy experience. And so definitely worked for it. And I feel like we just line up the values and and people, you know, might need more financial means than others. But when we look at our values and how we're spending our time, just ensuring that we're giving the energy, you know, to really where we want to go. And I've worked with a lot of people who let's say we're in the like corporate world and all we do is we just ask a series of questions, figure out what's most important. How do you want to spend your time? What would look like if money were no option? And we just kind of put a little bit more energy. Money were no option or money were, was no. No object. No object. No object. Yeah. So you see, can. You know, see, I got a, I got a fundamental, like this is like one of my. The material. Do what you do, what you love and the money will follow. Mm-hmm. I think that's total bullshit. Oh shit! I just think it's total bullshit. <laughs> well, it's been hard for truth. me. It's been hard true. for me. I, 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 it's hard for anyone. Does it really yeah. make sense? Does it, from, from what you know about business, from what you know about uh, marketing, does it make sense that you would do what you love and the money would follow, or would it make sense that you would do what the market most values and the money will follow? Well, to me, it's clearly the latter. But, and, and we, we, this is kind of like the, the, the bullshit that we spin and we spew out there and it's just sounds good and it feels good. But if you feel about it, you know what I mean? I, so, you know, it doesn't mean that you have to, to me, it doesn't mean that you have to do stuff that you don't, uh, that you don't like, but it, it means that you have to, the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. If you want the money, go figure out how to make the money in a way that you can live with. And, and, and you'll be much, it's just common sense. Of course, if you make that the main goal, then that's it. And it's not too bad to make money the main goal. Then you can put that goal aside. And we all know, I mean, this is like basics. We all know how oppressive it can be on your life to be lacking in that, in that category. And especially with the way things are going now. I mean, they're really, really trying to squeeze people to make that, you know, more and more difficult. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. To achieve. I agree. And I feel like, you know, we live in a culture now where it's like the quick fix, right? We always, we want it quick and we want it now. I think that my philosophy around it is just doing something that's meaningful to you. 
And so sometimes you could do a job that you absolutely hate and it pays the bills and people don't find, they can't find another way out. And so you could find a different job that still paid you money and you still work, but you didn't hate it as much. So for me, when I wanted to work, um, I had to work as a snowboard instructor and I wanted to just coach who I wanted. So I started an online business around snowboarding and then I coached professional snowboarders and really good snowboarders. So I got really clear on what I wanted to do, how I would make the money and it was aligned. I wanted to show up and I, I'm definitely a firm believer in the ability to create a reality. And yes, it's going to take some sacrifice and it's going to take a lot of hard work and you got to be committed to it. There's no shortcuts and you, and everybody I've seen do it, they have to earn it. And it's like, are you waking up every day and working on something of your own choosing? And if they say yes, they're pretty aligned. If they say no, um, you know, that's where they are, but I want to be as aligned as I can personally. And it's definitely a challenge, but uh, I think it's absolutely possible. What do you think? Yeah, I don't know. I'm a daughter. <laughs> Haven't you seen I mean, anybody think, lit like enjoy their job or life? Like, no, I, you, know, you know what? I mean, I, I was, like I said, I was in AI. I love computers. I love programming. I still play chess. I still program, you know, kind of, I like doing all that stuff. But to me, you know, it, it, it's like one of the basic principles of entrepreneurship. It's like why people go broke, right? Because they do, because they do what they love you know, and they think they're going to get paid for it. Like if I would have stayed and been a pr computer programmer, which is what I started out as, I wouldn't have made a lot of money. So it's painful to go through that process and say, okay, that's how do I, how do I get what I want out of this in this kind of thing? I mean, if you would have, if, if you would have found a couple of buddies up there on the mountain and then, you know, found some woman that you know didn't know how to put on her skis and figured out some way to, to put those on and then manufactured them and that you know there is a in the time that you were in that business i'm sure you saw tons of people you know with crappy little inventions that then turned out to be not crappy little inventions that made a lot of money now the model there is that one-on-one -on -one coaching would never get you to that x factor of making money you could have come mm -hmm. to that realization but there's no reason that you would come to that realization and no one laid it out to you and you didn't have, your dad didn't have $2 million to put into your business. Neither did mine. But I mean, you know what I mean? There's a lot of factors there, but you know, we all kind of weave our story back into, you know, kind of fitting stuff. I don't know. I, you, Tony Robbins, I, yeah, he really got a mowed over by the me too thing. And I think he should have, he deserved it. He couldn't come clean. And uh, that's unfortunate. And you know, the very first time that uh, I was, I had my tiny little company in Dallas and one of the guys that worked for me, he comes in, is a young guy. I mean, I was young. I was 27 years old when I started my company. This guy was probably 23. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know, it's just crazy. I had worked at uh, uh, Pricewaterhouse, which is an accounting firm, and we did consulting and you had to wear a nice suit and all that. I wore a suit every day. You know, it's like, I'm going in all with one or two people, like suit on, suit. But everyone else, so this guy wore a suit too, Michael Archuleta, 23 years old kid and from Texas Tech. He walks in, he goes, man, you got to, I went to this seminar, it'll change your life. And he had gone to Tony Robbins' seminar over the weekend. He goes, he's, he found out we're, we're in AI, he's interested in talking to us. He wants to turn his seminar in, he wants to use artificial intelligence to do that all. Great. So we all went, we all did the seminar, we, we met him, and then he invited us out to do the firewalk, you know, the Tony, walk, Tony Robbins firewalk, which was a fantastic experience, you know, and we never got to do the 
AI thing with them and this, it just didn't work out. It's one of those deals that didn't work out. But I always found his, a lot of his stuff just to be extremely basic, but just works. And one of the things that I think is super relevant to this conversation we're having about how to manifest is that like what he says he does, he goes, I just find the best people at doing what I want to do and I copy them. But he says, here's how I copy them. And this is right up your alley. He goes, I find out what they believe and I adopt their beliefs. So this is kind of a Matt Belair-ish kind of thing. It's not like, <laughs> oh, I do, I get up in the morning. It's like, no, what I'm thinking when I see that, when I see somebody else fail, I think, I don't think I'm in the wrong business. I think, great, buddy, get out of the way. I'm one step closer to the front of the line, you know? So that's what that guy believes. That's how you got to believe, you know? I think I never go backwards. I, I, I never, uh, my word is my bond and I never, you know, let, that's what I, I adopt those beliefs. And that's, I think that is incredibly powerful. I don't see anyone else saying that. I don't see anyone else doing that. I think it's, it's just like such a shortcut. Go find somebody, go get with them, work with them, work with for free for them and find out what they believe and copy their beliefs. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree with, with what you're saying. And I feel like the distinction here is something that one of my old coaches taught me and he goes, uh, I was writing Zen athlete at the time. He goes, are you doing business? Or are you doing art? And I was like, what? I don't know. <laughs> he goes, well, art is just expressing, you know, you can express yourself all day. That's fantastic. Business is solving a need. And I was like, damn. <laughs> and so I think that what, what you're referring to is, you know, that idea. And I think for me, it's just whatever balance that you want. Um, if we move towards, let's say a financial gain for what we might need, right? We're in a business or we're creating a business or whatever the case is. It might be inspiring work. It might not be inspiring work, but the spiritual side for me is being content with what you have. Genuine happiness. If you are in your life and you are genuinely happy with all the balance and all these different things, doesn't mean it's perfect. It means that you are content with what you have. You're growing in a way that you're inspired to grow and you're, you're not stressed to the nines. Now that's hard to do, but you can shape out and change some things in your life. So on the flip side, I think like to kind of draw an avatar of, of what I imagine the opposite being, it's just somebody who goes to work and they're stressed out all the time. They hate their job and they feel like they can't change it. Well, there's many different jobs. There's many different ways to live and you can even just go to a, a different job. You might like a little bit more. And so that's just my ideas is getting super clear on those ideas and, um, and moving towards, something that's going to make you feel better while you take care of everything. Because I've interviewed, and you probably know this, there's, there's, I've um, done sessions with multimillionaires, with poor people, with everything in between. And money is usually not the deciding factor of their happiness. It's usually something else. And I found it's, it's kind of this integrated balance of moving towards something fulfilling. You know, if you don't have enough money, it's super stressful and you're kind of in that fear paradigm and that's not comfortable to be in. And if you're showing up somewhere where you don't want to be just to make money, that's not the most premium idea either. And if you can learn how to create something, make sure the money is, is solid for what you need and you can be content and happy and grow towards something meaningful, I feel like that's the, that's the pinnacle. But to get there, I feel like you have to let go of a lot of things. And for me, 
you know, I have not sorted everything out. That's for sure. Um, but I, it's something that's worked for me where I've had actually three or four near death experiences. And one of them, uh, I had, um, you know, I was basically going through my death and the thought that I had was, I guess my work is done. And so I didn't feel like I needed to do anything. I didn't feel like I needed to travel. Um, and my partner had a very different experience. She thought something completely different. I wish she, you know, she wanted to do some things. And so I didn't have that. So that was nice for me to feel like following the pulse of how I want to express here, because a lot of this stuff is not guaranteed. And I want to be using my time and energy towards something cooperative to the best of my ability. But again, that's just how I express and I'd like to change a lot of different things. I don't judge anyone else's uh, view of the world and how they operate. Um, so you can comment on that. And you don't I would, judge anyone else? Come well, on. I think I, I, I judge naturally, but I try not to like hold on to it. I think the mind is a judging machine, but whatever you want to do, you know, go ahead and do it. But um, just don't hold on to the judgment. I, I had somebody tell me that once because I was literally judging someone. And then I was like, I can't stop judging this person. They're like, well, that's how the brain operates. You just judge them. Just don't hold on to it and like hold them to that. I was like, that makes me feel better because I'm definitely judging. So, you know, these principles are a lot easier said than done. But I wanted you to talk a little bit about your book because you just wrote a book. I'm sure there's so much great insight in there. You've been podcasting a lot longer than me. Uh, you have a different mindset than I do a little bit. And you've spoken to a lot of brilliant people. So what was the inspira uh, inspiration to the book? And, and uh, you know, what's evil. in it? Evil was the inspiration. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, again, you know, as we were talking about, like, in a, in a way, this is, kind of a, this is kind of a cool conversation to have. Because, like I'm telling you, I don't find the integration as as smoothly as you do. And I think you're kind of pretty honest about it. You know, you're not sure about the integration either, you know, between the material manifesting here and then the spiritual path. And I don't think we're supposed to be clear on any of it, you know, <clears throat> because I think we're all just doing the best we can and learning. And that's why I jumped on you about the judging thing. You know, I hate when we say that. <laughs> Because we're we're judging positive too, you know. Like Matt, I really like mm. you. I'm judging you. I think you're, mm. I think you're good. I judge your ideas. I judge everything that comes out of your mouth. Of mm. course I do. And I think the trick, as you were alluding to, is to not hold on to it too closely. It's like, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm meaningless. It's you know. And the funny thing, the funny thing, this is like part of the the whole conspiracy too, is that you are not a biological robot in a meaningless universe. Except you kind of are a biological robot in this universe. In the in the if the if the fundamental grounding of everything is consciousness, like the non-dual, and like in the intro you alluded to quantum physics, and quantum physics is so misunderstood, right? Like a lot of people who are more on the materialistic skeptical side or just skeptical side and don't know science, they're like, oh, the woo-woo of quantum physics. But no, man. Quantum physics has the most precise calculations and theories for predicting the, the, our reality as we experience of anything we've ever found in science. And that's why it's so powerful. That's why it allowed us to build iPhone 11s and satellites and all the rest of that. That is quantum physics. That's what came out of quantum physics. The interesting thing about quantum physics and what people, some people understand, but the woo-woo factor is that the philosophical implications of quantum physics are that in a very Zen way, 
if that tree falls in the forest, well, as my friend Riz Verk from the gaming lab said, he, you put it another way. Hey, we don't render the tree in the forest unless you're there to observe it. Mm. You know, mm. we don't render that as part of our computer game unless you're there. That's what quantum phys that's the philosophical implications of quantum physics. A lot of people have heard of the double slit experiment, which has been replicated over and over again. They started at very small subatomic particles and they got bigger and bigger and bigger and they did it every which way possible and it always, it is never falsified. It always comes out the same. The observer effect is real. Consciousness is what is creating, that's the, the, the philosophical conclusion, is that consciousness is the grounding of all reality. Consciousness is what everything is emerging out of consciousness. It's not matter and then we're getting it out, it's consciousness first, right? So if you, if you start with that, I mean, where do you go? It really leaves you in this kind of, everything we're talking about now is like, it doesn't really even make sense to talk about manifesting and material and getting a car and getting, you know, it, 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 in a way it doesn't make sense, but in another way, this is where we are. And in the same way, spirituality doesn't really make sense, you know, praying and, and uh, you know, getting good things and, you know, all that stuff. It just kind of has a different, we have to search for a different meaning. And in that whole thing, one of the things that I picked out is this thing called evil and said, you know, what, what do we think about that? And have we really stepped up to the plate and said, let's take a good look at what that, not what that is, because it's not about defining evil, but it's more about the predicament, the predicament we're in, in terms of, again, this science and religion. So if you look at science and you say, what about evil? What about, you know, one of the people I, I have in the book, interviewed for the book, is Annika Lucas. Annika is really cool. She's a yogi like me. She does this yoga in, for women in prisons and stuff like that. She's very beautiful. She was sold into sex slavery at six years old by her mother in Belgium. It was a satanic cult. They were about to kill her. This is the, the cult in Belgium that was all over the news all over the news, you can go look at the pictures of the kids, little kids in cages. You don't want to look at them very long, but they're on the headline in the 1990s, right? That was a cult she was sold into by her mother at six years old, right? So just reality, right? Most people would say, well, I don't know about evil, but that's it. You know, I know it when I see it, that's evil. But if you look at how we deal with evil in our culture, we don't. We deny it and say, oh, it's a social construct. There is no objective evil. It's just a social construct. That is bad. Don't do that. And say, well, hold on. What about the fact that those people that were doing that were trying to connect with spirit entities in an extended realm in order to further what they were trying to do? Are we supposed to just kind of not paying attention to that. Okay, put a pin in that. You know, I, I won't ask you anymore. You don't have the answers. Science, you don't have the answers I, I, I want anymore. Or even our culture news doesn't have the answers. Let me go ask the religious people. Oh, we got the answer for you right here, Alex. It's right in this book. This little narrow book just like this fits right on your bookshelf. 
It's all right there. Everything you would ever want to know about these extended realms, how you fit into them, how evil fits into them, God, moral, moral imperative, all that stuff, it fits right there. And then you sit back and you go, wow, I'm not so sure about your book. I've had, I've had some not so good experiences with that and the religions that come out of that. And yet that's where we are right now. That's where we are. So it's back to this thing of, you know, I feel like people like myself and, and other people need a way to kind of think about this stuff that is, I, I'm not going to say it's more empowering because I'm not promising that. I'm just saying, look how ridiculous that you're being sold these two ridiculous ideas that it, one, it doesn't really exist, sure seem to exist for Annika Lucas, or that two, you know, the Bible or uh, Islam or whatever religion you pick, Buddhism, you know, has all the answers to what that is. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be so sure on that either. Got more for your bargain than you bargained for on that question, didn't you, Matt? <laughs> yes, I did. And I love it. I wish we started there because it, it makes the manifesting thing so stupid, you know, comparatively, because one of the things, oh, no. well, in my mind, because one of the, like I said, one of the things that really bothered me when I was young was starvation. And when I talk about some of these things, I've looked at this, I've been aware of human trafficking for a long time. I've been aware of these satanic rituals for a long time. 200 million people are in human trafficking conditions. I worked uh, with the International Tribunal for Natural Justice to try to make sense of it and, and do something to maybe expose it and help it, uh, like prevent it. Also, organ harvesting in China, putting healthy people in, start uh, targeting Falun Gong meditators, uh, killing them, harvesting their organs. If 200 million people are in human trafficking conditions and we look at the coronavirus and then we're, now we're getting into conspiracy stuff because if that many people are going missing, what organizations are doing that? And most people experience cognitive dissonance and can't handle that that's going on. Like I, my mom and actually my aunt has started to see some of this stuff. She's like, I can't handle it. And I was like, I can't really handle it too. And if we ignore it, if we don't extend our compassion to our human brothers and sisters, how do we do anything to change it? And I feel like that's how some of those systems, um, you know, they operate. And like you said, that what you just said there, some people listen to this, they don't understand. That's actually what they think. They do these rituals to have entities on the other side in this occult ritual. It's actually a thing to connect to the spirit realm and all these. And then it gets into really weird occult, dark stuff. And it's, awful and so if that's what your book is trying to do is help people bridge that divide of cognitive dissonance so we can empower ourselves to do something about it because not looking at it doesn't make it go away just like if they looked at um the catholic church and and what was going on with the pedophilia right you could anybody who was a victim couldn't say anything because their their fair uh, family wouldn't believe them um they would be ousted and all these crazy things and so i feel like it's such an important topic and i feel like you know, that's essentially what's going on with this whole coronavirus thing and all these other big players. If you go down the conspiracy rabbit hole, um, there's a lot of dots that get connected with organizations and certain people of, hey, there's something to look at here. You know, there's something that needs to be investigated. And once you get to a level of power of influence, you seem to be above that in a certain way. And I feel like there's a lot of global issues that need to be looked at in a very serious way. And so, I was going to kind of go into, uh, you talk about UFOs and things like that. And I was going to throw some, you know, guess it, your thoughts on, on, um, on that. But I feel like it's more important to kind of keep it on this thread. So what do you hope with the book? Um, you know, what do you well, let's, let's just, uh, let's, we, we got to touch on the UFO thing in a way. 
Because like one of the really interesting angles on the UFO thing is the tie into consciousness. And like, you know, you, you, you go way off the conspiratorial thing. Like I say, please unsubscribe from Skeptico if you're subscribed. Unsubscribe. I've driven so many people away, you know, like, <laughs> I, drove the, I drove the atheists away right at the beginning. Then I drove all the Christians and religious people away. Then I wrote, drove away all the people who are, you know, can't go down on the conspiracy thing, drove them away. So, you know, just like, warn you right and now. And you're still you like know? a top 10. You're driving all these people away. I can't even get back into the one, the top 100. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I, think that, I think I captured an old screen capture there for the top 10. <laughs> so you look at consciousness. I mean, here is, get to, 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 to nail down your point, you know? So like people are going, hey, you know, Matt, you was kind of loosey-goosey there with the satanic thing and the connection, stuff like that. Well, there's some evidence like in the book, one of the cool interviews I have is with a guy who is a clinical psychologist from Grand Rapids, Michigan, and he worked with people with disassociative identity disorder you know, like split personality kind of thing. And it, it, it just so happens, just, I, I always like to throw this out just for people who are like, oh, that's not real, you know. There's a recent study by this group in Germany, and there's been multiple studies, but the most recent one, they took somebody who claimed that they had dissociative identity disorder, and one of their alter personalities was blind. They go, oh, when I, when I occupy this person, I'm blind. They put him in an fMRI, and they're blind. The neurocorrelates that show up are they're blind, right? So this establishes, in in from a neurological standpoint, there's no doubt that it is real. This disassociative identity that you are breaking off a separate ego state, and that is somehow controlling your body in a way that we can't explain. We can't explain how you would manage those neurocorrelates to make yourself blind, but you understand that from a mind-body standpoint because that's kind of what you're about and all the work, that's a Zen athlete kind of thing. But we don't really, you know, science isn't really on board with that. They're on the, the fringes of that of saying, yeah, well, we kind of acknowledge that that happens, but they don't really understand how that could happen. They just have to acknowledge that it sometimes pops up, right? I digress about three levels here, but rolling it back. So disassociative identity disorder is real. Disassociative identity disorder is tied to programs like MK Ultra. You know, if you uh, if maybe some of your people have heard about that, the mind control program. Maybe they've heard about remote viewing and the Stargate program, where they were doing psychic spying. You know, on other things around the world. We just did, I've done multiple interviews on that. What a lot of people don't know is that remote viewing program was a subset of the MK Ultra program. And what a lot of people don't know is that there are memos that suggest that, and the one memo I saw, I'm just not throwing out names there, Wilbert Smith, the highest ranking official in Canada, your home country, that was in charge of the kind of looking at all the aerial phenomenon in, in Canada, including, you know, just regular stuff like planes and satellites and stuff like that, but also across his desk would come UFOs things. So this is back in the 50s. They said, Wilbert, you better get down and see if the Yanks down there know anything about this because we're getting these UFO reports. And he comes back and he writes this memo. 20 years later, there's a Freedom of Information Act request and the memo slips out. And the memo says, yes, I went down to the United States 
The UFO phenomena is real. They regard it as the highest, most classified program in, a, in their whole thing, higher than the hydrogen bomb. Here are the people including uh, Vandevar Bush, and here are all the other high-level people are doing it. And then what Grant Cameron, Canadian UFO researcher, brilliant guy, what he picked up on, what no one else picked up on in this memo, the last line says, and they believe there is a mental phenomenon associated with this. So what they're saying is ET is talking to us telepathically and we need to figure out what's going on in that extended space because something's going on that we need to know about. And wouldn't you know, right after that, MKUltra starts, remote viewing starts, a lot of these other things start. So some people connect those dots and say, is that part of the reason why all those things were done? Because there was this awareness that uh, ET was in play in this extended realm that we didn't quite understand. Huh. Well, I didn't even know that. I love all that. I love how you're like, you're, you're skeptical of like everything and you want to get the details. So you, you frame it and, and you have it sorted and then you'll just drop some stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, man, I, you know, ETs are out there. I'm very confident in that. And then people like you can find the proof and, um, you know, share it with me in a way that is impressive. And, you know, if they turn out not to be real, I'm fine with that. You know, but it just feels like uh, I've had a couple experiences. So that's a direct experience of something. And there's a lot of information out there, which makes it compelling. Those two pieces of information I didn't know. So what do you, well, I want to talk about, about the book, but I'd love to get into some of your other, other things that you, what do you think is going on in the world? That's a, that's a big question. I had a former FBI agent on and, um, you know, he talked about, just his views in the world. And I've looked at all these secret programs, MK Ultra. I'm familiar with, you know, about propaganda and uh, century of self, Edward Bernays and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah so, you know, bit. you're we're, and, and you know, you're familiar with the work of Darren Brown and, and that kind of like level of hypnosis and psychology. Right. right. Yeah. So I'm so, I'm super curious about that. And so, you know, if ETs are, are so far beyond our um, understanding, maybe it's just a technology. And I've always, I had a Native American friend I mentored with for a few years, and uh, he's a scientist and a mathematician, very interesting guy. And, um, you know, in the Native American culture, ETs are just like sheep. It's like, of course, they exist. And when I go to contact in the desert and stuff like that, Clifford Mahoudi and David Lombear, they're the only ones that is like, this isn't a fantastic thing. And we're deciding to tell you some of our history. And both of them uh, have a lot of um, kickback from the community because not all of them think that they should be sharing this history. So, you know, and then I was in Egypt with the Resonant Science Foundation with uh, physicists and engineers and all these different people, you know, talking about these different things. We've got these old stories. I would have loved that. Do you know who Gerald Clark is? Uh, he, he just recently passed. He was brilliant. He was before he kind of transitioned his life. He was shooting protons through a wall for IBM or information or something like that. And, uh, he was, he was in the military and at the doing some sort of computer hacking for the Berlin wall or at that time, something crazy. My friend told me when, when we had the podcast after he had passed, but this guy was brilliant. And he researched the Anunnaki story. And anytime you bring up information for him, he was skeptical too, because he would go research it and he was an electrical engineer. So it's got to be, uh, it can't be loosey goosey. For me, I look at information. I like pick out 
the point of like, what does it mean? And then I'm going to forget the reference and I'll forget the exact story because my brain doesn't really operate in that way. I'd have to really pay attention. So my question to you, I guess, is how do you frame, what do you think is going on in the world? What do you find is the meaning of life? And, and answer this however you, uh, however you want, because it's pretty vague, but what do you think is actually going on here? Like, and what can we do to create a better future? What, what bothers me in this planet is so much suffering. And it seems like there's a lot of people that are not high quality individuals creating systems like the music industry and uh, the news is all baloney and the, the financial system. You look into that and it's like, okay, you got the Rockefellers and, and this influence, you've got the pharmaceutical companies, you know, the whole um, thing with uh, the coronavirus. Well, it goes back to Flexner report and the hijacking of modern medicine. And then before that is germ theory versus terrain theory. And those are the two origins. And when you look at those things, there's a lot more information um, and scientific data to give evidence to germ theory or to terrain theory, sorry, which says it's the terrain. If you have a strong, healthy terrain, the germ does not matter. And they haven't isolated a germ outside in the air. And they have definitely not isolated the coronavirus yet into, into satisfying Koch's postulates. They haven't done that, but there is something happening, but they're saying we haven't proven it's a germ doing this. And that's a very important distinction. And it's also an important distinction, a germ theory versus terrain theory saying, you know, if you have a healthy terrain, you've got nothing to worry about, but drink Coke, go to McDonald's, uh, don't do anything for your body. And then, you know, let us take care of you with masks and, and pills and all these other things. So it's a bunch of baloney. And so I do see systems that are, that are not quality. And so that's a lot of just ranting and just say something back to that, <laughs> please. <laughs> well, um, first thing I'd say is, do you think this, and this is like a real question, like I don't care, but I mean, do you think this recording will make it on the air? I, I think there's a good chance that it, it won't. If you say COVID, if you say Corona, like you are, and you say these things, they more and more frequently, they're not making it on the air, which I think is just, you know, just even uh, how how long ago did you start the podcast? Uh, five years. I've I've been censored and and things like I haven't had a video taken off yet. But I got I was on one of these uh, what do you call them like this Facebook new algorithm thing. I was at one hundred fifty thousand downloads a month, and then I dropped down to thirty. And people are saying I can't find your podcast. I got kicked off. Exactly. This happened to Joe Martino, Collective Evolution. So right. I'm just a sm small guy. But Joe Martino right. said this was at the time when. Uh, social media and Facebook was getting more traction than the news. And in Canada, our news is one company, one. In the States, it's apparently six, but you can probably filter that into two or three. And so, yeah, so yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And so we're experiencing right now censorship on a scale we've never experienced before. And I lived in China, a communist country, and guess what they had? No Facebook, no YouTube censorship. And half the videos I saved trying to figure out what was happening with this coronavirus thing are deleted. And so if you're deleting information very viciously, and a lot of it is just people expressing real-world data, that's, uh, that's a scary thing to consider. Because it, it, it like that's the, meta, that's the metadata, you know? I've... Uh, I've only recently tried to just dip my toe in it. It's not really my thing. In a way, it relates back to all this thing we're talking about in terms of you got to figure out this evil thing. You know, you got to figure out what that, in my mind, you know, I'm still, I, I, I want to find a more pre-scientific, rigorous way of thinking about it and looking at it without drawing any conclusions. I don't think everybody is, evil. I don't think there's like a bunch of evil people and 
you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, the opposite, I'm saying, come on, we can do better. We can nudge closer to figuring out why some people are doing horrific things to other people. And, you know, just to, to kind of an aside, but not really, go watch the Ted Bundy, uh, as if you haven't seen enough freaking Ted Bundy, Jesus Christ. But the Ted Bundy uh, thing he did with the tapes of him actually, the, the audio tapes of him being recorded in prison. And he, one, he talks about this, splitting, you know, split personality, dissociative identity. Because the, the, you know, the follow on to all that where I was going is what it looks like. Again, pre-scientific, but kind of in a scientific vein. The reason why the satanic people do the, 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 a lot of times they do the torturing of little kids is to try and make them split. And in the MK Ultra program, we actually did that to kids. And if you, anyone knows Whitley Strieber, the famous UFO guy, he tells about what that, how that happened to him and he was a little kid. And, and, and these, these reports are out there and you can find them, but they're trying to split because it reduces their, and this is Tom Zinzer, 30 year clinical psychologist, PhD, Texas A&M. He doesn't have any skin in the game, but that was his conclusion is that it reduces their barrier for uh, kind of contact from external entities and not always the worst, but sometimes the worst. So the way I guess I spin that all back is it does seem to touch on the on a lot of these things that we're talking about here. And uh, I don't know, I, I, I guess I was, we're trying to tie it back to if we don't have a better understanding of what is going on and what forces are out there and how they might be coming into play. And I know that's going to kind of sound super weird to people, but hopefully we've grounded it in enough stuff that isn't weird where you can see how it's a legitimate question. It's not legitimate to say, now I'm bouncing all around here, but like, like this is like one of my touchstones on the thing is like, <laughs> You know, Scientology, you know, the guy who started Scientology was L. Ron Hubbard. I guess everybody probably knows that. Well, L. Ron Hubbard was a follower of Aleister Crowley, who was this occultist and did all these crazy sex magic things. L. Ron Hubbard, that, so I interviewed a guy from Ohio State University, religion professor, who wrote a book on Scientology. <laughs> he writes a book and he goes, yes, I can confirm that L. Ron Hubbard and Jack Parsons were out in the desert, the Mojave Desert, and they were trying to summon the whore of Babylon so that they could bring forth the Antichrist. You know, just this is history, right? And I said, well, Hugh, you know, don't, isn't that something we need to kind of look into a little bit, especially with the connections with MK Ultra? He goes, no, I don't, I don't concern myself with that. It doesn't matter if it's true. It only matters that they believed it was true. And I said, no, you got that completely wrong. The first and foremost thing that matters is, is there potentially any reality to the idea that you could connect with an extended consciousness realm in that way and that they could impact this world? That has to be wrestled to the ground first and foremost. Then you can concern yourself with who believes it, who doesn't believe it. But first you have to know if there's any potential reality to it. You know what I mean? This is the situation that we find ourselves in. 
we find like the speculations you're having about what's going on in the world and all the rest of that, it would seem to me that one of the fundamental questions is to, is to ask, is to say, you know, if there is evil here, and we don't know if it is, you know, we don't know if these are good guys or bad guys, we kind of suspect, but what is the nature of that, of that evil? Is it just common, you know, you know, uh, you're evil, I'm just, you think I'm greedy, I think you're greedy and all that, or is there something else beyond that? I think that's an important question. Hmm. Well, first thing I'll ask you is, you okay if I we keep chatting? What's your What's your time like? Been an hour and a half. Oh no, let's uh, let's go. We'll wrap it up pretty soon. Okay, cool. You can let me know because I could go all day. This is this is open up the the rabbit holes, and I, I wonder about this because in the let's say sometimes new agey spiritual community, you know, they'll talk about the more attention, energy, and focus you give to something, you know, the more you're down those rabbit holes. And, you know, that's definitely true to an extent. And if it's, it's you know, so I want to build the solutions. And I also want to help people that are in horrible situations. It also sounds to me, listening to you, it's like you've discovered something that's horrible on the planet that's almost unbelievable because I've been talking about some of this stuff for a long time. And most of my friends, they just can't hear it and they just gloss over or whatever, or not concerned at all. And I'm like, yo, this stuff is real. And their brains is just cognitive dissonance and just don't care, right? They just not. And so if this is actually going on, which there's a ton of evidence it is, is the book almost saying, hey, holy, I found out something that there's enough evidence that I think is real and we're not addressing this as a as a world community and it needs to be addressed or it will continue because people like that that were on interviewed there and if 200 million people are in human trafficking conditions and these things that are happening that will blow your mind and uh you know i've seen a couple things that i wish i didn't see and i saw one recently and they shouldn't have put that image there they shouldn't have done that and i'm trying to figure out you know it's it's i i i get fractured in thinking this and be like how can it be this awful Nobody seems to look at it or give a crap. And it's like breaking my heart and my mind and I want it to stop, but I don't know how to do anything. You know, even like this, that's one thing, the human trafficking type of stuff. But, you know, even learning from the Native American community and what we did in the school systems, right? All of these systems in place, my friend, uh, Brian Francis did a documentary, he's a Mi'kmaq and he just talked, he's, I asked him about, you know, what had gone on and things like that. He goes, Matt, the worst things that you can possibly imagine all happened in mass number. You know, do you know, it, Kevin, do you know, Kevin Annette? Is that the movie that you're, uh, no, this, uh, well, I, I don't know if he's at Brian Francis. Um, he's a friend of mine. I don't know if he was associated with him, but he did a, a couple of documentaries. So I don't know. Tell, tell people about that. Uh, if they're, do, does your, does your audience know about the residential schools? you know, I, I brought it up here and there and I've had, you know, uh, Brian Francis on the show and I've had other people, oh. but there's so many shows. Yeah. The, the residential school system's awful. It's just the most awful thing ever. And so one crazy thing that, uh, you know, one of the native American elders told me is that they got the, you know, Catholic church, there's a Catholic church on every single reserve. He said, they got that actually from Germany when they wanted to know when they did that, uh, they came over, was that project paperclip when they came over and surrendered, they wanted to know how they did the concentration camps. That's what they did with the native Americans. And so that's why I like your mindset. Cause for me, I'm like out there and I don't, I don't care to, I don't, you know, like you said, I can be loose. This is just my idea. Pick it apart. I don't give a crap. Um, you know, cause I'm kind of looking and doing it my way where you're a little bit more, um, 
auditory digital about it, more sequenced, you know, you got the references, right? You're going to prove it and you're going to prove it four times. So I'll say something. I'm like, I'm right. I'll be like, UFOs exist. And they'd be like, you're just a, a bearded idiot. I'd be like, hold on, Alex, jump in. You'd be like, well, here are four pieces of evidence for you that you can't dispute. Thank you. Next thing, you know, consciousness is powerful or something. It's like, okay, jump in, Alex. Thank you. Next thing, you know, so um, it's a good, it's a good teamwork, but uh, yeah. So oh, yeah, you're, you're awesome. I mean, I think if we, if we, if we got into <laughs> snowboarding or uh, martial arts, or probably uh, performance athletics. I think you, it'd be the it'd be the other way around. Yeah. Well, and you here, know, here. well, sorry, I want you to continue, but I want to say one of the things that I find curious, like you said, that bipolar or, or the split personality. That's what I believe is so powerful. The other way of manifesting, connecting to spirit, you know, self healing. You know, I believe that that's there. How do we access it? I don't know exactly, but I've heard of people like Yogananda and we, we keep testing and, and doing these different things. You know, even with um, like meditation experiences, I've had a couple where I experienced a realm directly. It's very vague and floaty as crap, but it's, I can't describe it in words, but but really, what does that mean? I don't even know, right? Is that useful or beneficial? I, I don't know, but it was it was different consciousness than, than this one. And so, you know, when, when you're talking about that actually happening to the neurology of the body, it's a very fascinating thing. And can we steer that to good? And are there people who were aware of this steering it for bad? And I'll give you one more example before you jump in. Electric shock therapy, trying to shock out, they call it the ghost in the machine, basically your consciousness, your spirit, your soul. How can we bring them down to nothing so then we can hypnotize them and, and make them do whatever we want and completely obey without control? You're, you know, and so that's another one of those crazy things that they were doing. Yeah. And people, and people can't fathom that stuff. Well, you know, we just keep pulling it apart and then putting it back, couldn't put it back together, you know, because like that very last thing you said there, Matt, you know, people can't fathom it. And your frustration of the cognitive dissonance, you know, just like, doom, can't deal with it. I have so many people close to me in my life, you just, and you get it, you know, and that's another level, that's another layer too. There's so many holes we could go down, but I, I, I almost think that's something that, uh, we should maybe pause and maybe you should talk more about your experience with that and what that feels like and how completely uh, frustrating that can be and also how demoralizing it can be, you know, because it's not like all truths are relative. They're not. Some truths are more well-established than other beliefs, you know what I mean? So when somebody does the work, and you're doing the work, you know, you're really trying, I do the work, I try and do the work. And you learn something and it changes you in a fundamental way. And you go and share that with someone else and they can't even, they can't even appreciate anything about what that change is like. Cause they're not, cause they're so afraid of making those kind of changes themselves, which I think is a lot of times what's going on. They've gone through, they've done the math. <laughs> they've done the math. Like if I were to entertain the idea of ET, <laughs> my world would be blown up. I am not going there. And what they, what they present to you is very easy to get, to get the wrong message, to get, you know, they really think I'm um, stupid or they think, you know, da, 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 da. what they're really doing is they're just so freaking afraid because they know 
what it would do to their to their worldview. Do you have any you have any thoughts on that? Well, it's a good question, and I appreciate that. Like I said in the beginning, a little bit earlier, I've always kind of thought this way, a little bit different. So maybe you in high school, you know, you'd be like, Matt, you're full of crap. And that's what I've been used to. You're full of crap. And when I was older and I started to gain more experience, more knowledge, putting myself, you know, with the masters, the reason why I wanted to train with Shaolin monks is I wanted to know if they could actually do what I saw. And they actually could, which was amazing. And magic is very relevant. And that's something that I learned from, again, my Nate, one of my Native American teachers. Magic is so relevant. People don't know about magic. They don't know about psychological operations. They don't know about occult stuff. And it's real and it exists and it's powerful. And uh, it's scary too. And, you know, most of the people who know it, they're not the good guys. And so I'm hoping there's a bunch of people who know this that are the good guys that are use, doing something and ready to show because um, – from my perspective and going through my life, it's been hard. It's very lonely, incredibly lonely. Um, even, you know, my partner, like I was showing her, we've been together for a long time and I would tell her some stuff and, you know, it's really awful. Doesn't want to hear. I call her like little unicorn and everything's perfect. I was like, yo, the world is not perfect. It's actually awful. And so uh, you just feel so lonely. You can't talk to anybody. And I went through a pretty good depression and when I was in Whistler and it's the same stuff as now with the coronavirus. Like I do a bunch of research. I present the information. I'm not trying to say you're wrong. I said 0.26 in March, 0.2, 0.3. That's what we had. Cause that was the data. That was just the data. If it's going to kill you, I'll tell you. Wear a hazmat suit. Don't go outside. You know, have you seen anything in my character that would say otherwise? You know what my friends did even? They accused me of one of my good friends accusing me of uh, just going after likes and trying to get more people, uh, killing grandma, all this stuff through like, um, you know, whatever propaganda they're getting. And I'm just like trying to help you and trying to help someone else that's not being helped. Now we have this whole thing of virtue signaling, which is now a new thing. And I saw this... Uh, meme about you know you can't tell the karens that the lockdown was a mistake you could only let them know the truth and it's like what's the truth is like they're conditioning you to think that fear is a virtue right and and it, you can see that because i've even had someone say i'm anti-lgbt and you know and i'll speak on this now because i just i just discovered this and i think it's super red uh important when i worked on human trafficking and the pedophilia is so huge human trafficking and pedophilia is so huge um, now I was like, something's going on with LGBT. I don't know what it is. And I'll say it clearly. I have no problem with whatever your preference is. And I have at it except for pedophilia. I have a problem with that. That's a hard fist close, no passing go. You know what I mean? That is not okay. And so now there's some, you know, I've seen some talks and some stuff sent to me about trying to piggyback on that movement, wanting equal rights, wanting to normalize this. Now, I'm not saying go lynch them all, although that might be my personal emotional feeling since I have a daughter and wanting to do that. I'll let you live. But if you're a threat, well, not let you live like it's my choice and that sounds awful. Um, you can exist and you can have that preference, but you cannot act on it. Just like you could have a preference to murder, you can't act on it, right? I have a, you know, I was actually talking to one of my friends once. It reminds me of Whistler and I was like, you ever drive in a car? And like, you want to just like turn into traffic, right? Turn in, like, it was such a stupid thing that I was thinking one day and he goes, bro, I think about that like kind of often and it's a stupid thing, but I can't act on it. You know what I mean? And so, you know, I see these really awful things and, and a lot of people don't want to dress in on it. It's, it makes you feel lonely and it's uh, heartbreaking and it makes you feel helpless that, that these people aren't going to get help and we're not going to be able to move towards uh, solutions. And the last thing I'll just say is, 
You know, we talk about this new world we want to live in and the better world and, and all we have this history of war and, and terror and, and awfulness. And um, the elders would tell me like, uh, the next upgrade for humans is peace. And, the, and they apparently have connection with the, the star people and all that. They said, the next thing is peace. You know, you got you to gotta be able to get to that space. And I honestly don't know how with these systems in place and how powerful they are and how and this whole Corona thing made me really realize how people, the hypnosis and the indoctrination, it's so good. They've been mastering this stuff for years and years. It's so refined, man. You know, and I say, you know, don't, you don't think it works. Don't think of a pink elephant. Don't picture the American flag. Now, if I'm going to, you know, repeat that and then put some emotion to it, you're going to then act on something. And so that's my rant, man. It makes me feel sad and uh, powerless and not good. And so trying to do all the spiritual work and, and try to make it different and look for solutions to build, to step in where I can, I think is my, maybe the only thing that keeps me sane. Yeah. I mean, there's so much there. Um, you know, the one thing I, I like, I, I have no idea how we offer a counterweight to those systems, right? I mean, that's not like what everyone, everyone wants to hear, you know, but I agree with you. I look at the power of those systems and I don't know what the counterweight is. It seems pretty, and they are incredibly, incredibly refined and have refined the system just, you know, I mean, like, you know, I just kind of mentioned the the shadow banning kind of thing, and you gave like five examples, you know. Imagine the sophistication that they have, you know, that people don't understand, you know. Like everyone does now, you go Google stuff, you go, I swear when I used to Google that, I used to get to that website, I can't get there anymore. I mean, they're sophisticated in that way. But in another way, I don't think they're they're as sophisticated. I think they're they're reactive more than they are proactive is my, the only thing I'd, I'd even get into this discussion. I think a lot of times like COVID, I have no clue, but it looks to me more like the pandemic part of it. Like not that it was planned from the beginning, but hey, here's an opportunity. Oh, okay, that, that thing we had to, okay, do it now. Cause this thing, you know, this is like opportunistic kind of thing. I don't know. I don't even want to get into that discussion because I'm not. I like to be, like you said, I like to be well-versed. I like to have my ducks in a row and have my sources. And I I'll, give you, I'll give you four sources that'll show you the plan after this and you can look at them. Rockefeller document, future scenarios. We're in lockstep. Event 201, Bill Gates Foundation. Fauci yeah. talking about a surprise pandemic before you come. You don't know surprises coming. Surprises are friggin' surprises. Uh, Bill Gates talking about it before and them all baking the second, uh, second wave into the cake. So I'll send you five references on the plan before that. Um, and even if you look at uh, Yuri Bezmenov of the XKGB and uh, Bill Cooper and the Iron Mountain, whether you believe the Iron Mountain is legit or not, that's a report from uh, Kennedy that he did if, if the U.S. Uh, created peace. And it's like what's going on now in the States. And it looks like a very direct attack on the States from, from my view and research. But again, you look at these things and you add them up. I say it's like the weights and scales, right? If you're putting on someone's trial for murder, you don't know, you weren't there. And we only know a little tiny bit of a little tiny bit. And we need people to be open-minded and to look at evidence. And if there's a member of our community 
that is doing harm to other people, we need to figure that out and we need it to stop, right? And so if we have these systems in place that are causing harm to other people, we need to be aware of it so we can find a solution to make it stop. So I'll just, I'll send you the resources after, but the, the evidence is, is pretty solid. I don't doubt it. I, I, you know, those are going to be new, slight, slightly new sources to me. I've kind of nibbled around at the edge. I mean, what about the Fauci and the uh, patents? What do you make of that? Oh, the patents for the HIV? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And the the particular, the gene sequence that is apparently, you know, sliced, spliced into the COVID-19? Yeah, well, there's a lot of suspiciousness with the Wuhan lab. You know, we had, there's a lot of stuff over there. Like we had kicked out, the RCMP found uh, people in our lab. It's in Manitoba, I think, or Alberta. No, it's Manitoba. And we found two spies. And, you know, there's a lot connect, a lot of money connected to Wuhan lab. And you patenting a virus seems a little bit ridiculous. But then you just look at people and political careers and their agendas, right? Even when you look at the World Health Organization, you look at Tedros and his past. If, and this is the one thing that I say, if like ETs exist and you have all the presidents and how we function, if you had to um, talk to them and talk about our species and be like, oh, why is that guy uh, president? Why is this guy the World Health Organization guy? And look at his track record. It isn't like the best we have to offer often. We're, we don't have, you know, even our politicians, they're not the best we have to offer because what happened is it became a boys and girls club and people came in and then you need votes, right? So it's kind of like survivor and you, you know, you get the people in who are going to make you vote in a certain way and then money got involved and then, um, you know, money and power and that, and so, yeah, it kind of goes into all those things. And then it gets into awful, awful stuff. And so then you go into the vaccine thing. And I wasn't even into the vaccine thing, but everything started coming up with that. Then you look at what's going on in Africa, in India, and there's a lot of stuff there. Robert Kennedy Jr. is talking about it. There's a ton of evidence that says this isn't good. And then, then you go back again to the Flexner report where you gave birth to the trillion dollar pharmaceutical vaccine industry and germ theory versus terrain theory. Well, what's more money? Uh, teaching people how to have healthy, vibrant bodies with a spiritual connection, pineal gland, uh, gut health, clean food, clean water. Fluoride trial just happened. Fluoride is not good. Didn't they, didn't they use a bunch of fluoride in like Nazi Germany to make them more sedated? We have that in our water, right? They're doing a glyphosate Monsanto in the food. If you look at any of them in depth, you're just like, you know, like you, you feel overwhelmed and helpless because it's everywhere and you know, it's, you can't even avoid it. So, so yeah, I don't know. So it could be, it's like likely, cause I look at Fauci and I'm like, mm, you look like you're just a paid off pawn. Right. And, and this is the difference, but you know, if you say anything remotely positive about Trump, you are, you know, you're, you're now a racist basically. And I'll just say Trump versus Trudeau and what's happened in actions. And Trump could be the worst guy ever. I got no problem with that. But what I'm talking about is looking at the World Health Organization and what they've done and how corrupt it seems pretty obvious. He kicked them out, which was good. He said vaccines would be uh, um, optional, which is really good when you're scared about forced vaccines and oppression. Now, could he do a bunch of other awful stuff? Absolutely. But then you look at the other side and look at what Canada's prime minister is doing. Trudeau gave millions of dollars to the Chinese communist military. That's an action that is awful. And so I'm just looking at some actions here and I'm taking them piece by piece. You know, I'm not saying he's the best guy. He could be the worst. He could be racist, all this stuff. I'm looking at the policies 
and the policies of what's happening in Canada are very frightening. And it's just showing that we're under the, we're essentially under, um, you know, the communist arm. And there's a great website, Canuck Law. This girl does amazing reporting. And we're like opening up our legislation for um, making human trafficking easier, uh, defunding, defunding the support programs in the human trafficking. And you look at these policies that our government are implementing as policy, that's what you say, hey, these policies are not great. So, you know, if you hate Trump, you can hate him. Just look at the policies and, and, and really analyze those and see, see if they're terrible and see if they're good. And then make your decision there, not, a, not on the individual because, um, you know, who knows how things are going. And, and I don't know. I've always, I've never been a fan of the two-party system. I feel like it's Coke and, Coke and Pepsi and, and, and McDonald's and Burger King. They're both awful scenarios. So how do we even transcend that and, and find a narrative that makes sense for all countries? And so, you know, America was supposed to be this um, place of freedom. And I've heard through different conspiracies that um, you're not fighting, you're not fighting a, a different country. You're fighting the idea of communism. And, you know, whether you want to call it global elite or China or communism, it does look like it's being directed towards the state. And, you know, I, I was interviewed on a podcast and I said, when is oppression and forced mandatory anything been a good sign, right? When is, when is staying indoors and the government telling you what to do and then mandating how you act, how you go outside, wearing a mask and forced vaccinations, when has that ever been like a positive sign of freedom and expansion towards a healthy um, existence. And I don't think it's happened. So we're in some very interesting times. And again, I don't know if Trump is good or bad, um, but I can say that a, a couple of the policies that he has done and kicking out the World Health Organization, I can be cool with that, you know, so you can hate him, but like, like that, because that's a good win for everybody, you know, making van, vac uh, vaccines man, uh, not mandatory. That's a good thing, right? We, we don't want to mandate that. So, you know, whoever's in power, ideally they're making those choices. Um, that's my rant. And so people just hate me and call me a racist just because I said that. It's crazy. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's it's the political thing. It, it certainly stacks up, you know, the way that you're saying, because I mean, the one side is just completely insane. I mean, it's just completely, <laughs> completely insane. It doesn't make, I mean, I think, I wonder what you think on this, and then we ought to wrap it up, but because you are so much more uh, tuned into the, the whole COVID thing. I think they're surprised at how effective the test run on the martial law thing. I don't think they, they, they ever dreamt in their wildest dreams that they would be as effective and everyone would just fall in line and start ratting out their neighbors. Oh, my neighbor isn't wearing his mask. Come over. I mean, I don't think they ever dreamed that it even worked like that. Because it's been yeah. so effective. It's just it, overnight, it just was martial law. And no one said, well, well, why would we, where's the law that says we have to do that? Where is the check and balance? Where is the science behind that shows that a mask is, you know, but where is the debate? No, no. Yeah, there's a, you know, and again, this is my, we'll have to find the proper reference so you can do it later, but there's a Goebbels or Gables, Goebbels, whoever did the, um, the Goals, Nazi propaganda. Yeah. And he said a quote along the lines is like, you can basically take all freedoms away under the guise of health and safety. And so it's like, oh, I'm protecting you. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to stay at home. Um, and never mind all the, you know, the lack of evidence and, and all the harm it's caused. And, you know, this is a projection. So I take it for as far as I can uh, throw it. But 
but it makes more sense to me that this would have some weight to it just because it, it would seem more aligned with that uh, agenda is that they might put as many as 150 million on, uh, on the edge of starvation now because of these lockdowns and the way it goes. And even if it's not 150 million, I think it would go up. And those are the people really going to be hurting from this. And um, yeah. And so one of the things I saw right away was the first wave was the test. And so people who had died, 96% in Italy had pre-existing conditions. If you die of cancer, they label it a COVID. Uh, you know how they do the testing, the PCR testing? Well, the guy who invented that said, don't use this to test for viruses. It doesn't work. Well, they do that. They, it's a surrogate um, it's a surrogate test, which there's a video by Th Dr. Thomas Cowan that explains that better than I will do now. But basically what it says is the test is garbage and it's not going to tell you whether you have it or not. So everybody dying of cancer and pre-existing conditions, we're saying that's COVID and scaring the public. And they said there's going to be a real second wave in this propaganda thing. They'll actually release it. And so then we're really in some trouble. And so that's what I've seen from the beginning. And it makes me a little bit nervous and I'm reminded of, uh, again, I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was around the Cold War. They, they, they were testing different manipulation techniques, and they, so they said they sent some, some journalists over to Russia. They come back right? They did, and write an article about how Russia is doing all this kind of stuff. It persuaded the public opinion by like 50%, and it worked way better than they thought. They didn't even go to Russia. They just went to an apartment in New York for a few days, wrote the article, put it in the New York Times, and public went oh and it's because people are good people man people are good people they can't fathom that the healthcare system or the government could be evil they can't fathom it and they shouldn't have to right they shouldn't have to and that's like you know and as a teenager looking at this stuff and i was like huh world's trying to kill me and everything else weird you know like <laughs> what right and so we're just we're gone with what we're taught we we believe the best in people and so people this is the cognitive dissonance thing it just like the ufos changes everything they have to now re-piece everything and once you've made gone so far they're going to defend that just like they're, they're going to defend that thing they're going to defend the mass they're going to defend these actions they're going to defend the oppression and if you look at oppression too I was in Cambodia in the killing fields and I asked them how that happened. Well, Paul Pot, you pick a side and one of those sides is murdering your friends. How many people did that out of fear and, and oppression? It's, you know, there's a great video talking about order followers, Mark Passio. He goes, order followers are what keep the system of slavery in place. Not the ruling elite, not the people making uh, the rules. It is the order followers. And you look at, um, you know, the Milligram experiment and how um, they would, like you talked about him more, where you know people don't want to kill each other, but the Milligram experiment, if you pass the um, responsibility to someone else, you'll actually kill a person for that. And so they know all this stuff. And, and you know, humans, we have very limited free will. We're very easily manipulated, especially in a mass number. So we shouldn't be thinking about these things, but it's unfortunately true. And we got to wake up to that fact so we can make it make a change. And then how deep that goes, like, you know, you've seen the deep of the deep. And, and maybe it goes deeper than that. I don't know. And I've seen some pretty deep stuff and it's, uh, it's heartbreaking. So I'd love to work towards solutions with anyone and, and, and build a better world. And I hope that there's some powerful force out there, a God force, a, a spiritual force, some white magic, whatever you, I'll take anything, a Hail Mary. It could be uh, 
I don't know. What's your, what's that quarterback? Everybody loves in the States. I'll take some of him as a superhero. I don't care. <laughs> Tom Brady. Yeah. Tom Brady. <laughs> I think there's like a South park where he's like some sort of superhero. I don't know. but um, I'll take anybody willing to work towards positive solutions and um, creating something uh, that, yeah, makes positive impact. So I don't know. I don't know, man. The spiritual path is easy for one with no preferences. That's my thing. <laughs> can't we can't get caught up we can't worry too much about what they're doing just mm. just you know what i mean we want to we, we want to protect and you know you just have a good heart and all that but i'm not sure that's the game well your book kind of addresses that so what do you think we do you're the one talking about how, how- uh, i'm not yeah I, i'm i try not to be you know what we should do i mean my conclusions mm. for the book are because it's not at all a preachy book are two things one we are more you are more than a biological robot in a meaningless universe you know that but just how they ever even planted that idea in you in science class or why wherever you heard that it's just no you are more and the second is you are good you know you do you know that you have that connection to something that is greater to that divine spark you know it's there and so I don't have an answer, but I, I kind of feel like the solution is along the lines of addition by subtraction, just removing the blocks to the goodness that is, is flowing, no matter how dark it looks, it's, it's flowing. The light always shines, you know? That made me feel good. You're a philosopher over there. You, <laughs> you're going to come yeah. over to my side, the warm, fuzzy side. We'll get you That's over it. here. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I appreciate you coming on the show. I appreciate your work. Is there anything, um, anything that you wish that I'd ask or anything that you want to share before we wrap it up? No, it's been awesome, Matt. Awesome. I mean, we went two hours, but I, I know how we did it because it's just, there's so much to talk about. We're so in sync on so many things. Absolutely. And so if people want to get your book, they want to discover more, where are they going? It's, uh, you can pre-order it on Amazon. Got a website? Got all my shoulders. Skeptica right there. <laughs> They'll figure it out. I know they're smart people. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, man. All right, dude. Well, it's been a pleasure. Uh, thanks for writing the book. It's an important topic. I'm actually excited to read it. I, you know, it's interesting that I never even thought about it. And uh, it's, that's a very important topic, man. So I'm going to dive into it and, uh, and enjoy reading it. So thank you for your work, man. Thank you for being out there, being skeptical. Thank you for, you know, you're taking some action, trying to do something you think is good. You know, you're taking some action. You're part of the solution. You're out there. So, <laughs> so, buddy. Yeah, I appreciate you, man. We'll stay in touch. And uh, thanks. Yes, for definitely. Show. Definitely. Let's stay in touch. Cool, man. Awesome. Take man. care. Thank you. All Take right, care. Bye. See you guys. Peace. Bye. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the absolutely phenomenal Alex Sakaris. I hope that you enjoyed that episode. Uh, check out his show. It's big. It's huge. It's uh, He's got some amazing guests on there. He really knows what he's doing. And uh, I really enjoyed our show. Check out his book. I, what an important topic, especially for the, the world that I live in and trying to make the world a better place and understanding these systems that uh, and these things in the world that really are evil. And most people, like he says, they don't want to look at it. They experience this cognitive dissonance. And I just don't understand how we're 
we're going to create a solution if we're not willing to alchemize that if we're not willing to say hey this isn't what we want as a humanity we want peace we want uh, everyone to be able to eat we want these evil systems to uh, transmute into something positive and beneficial and of service and life affirming to all uh, humans and all life on this planet so uh, i enjoyed the show if you liked it please share it uh, share it on facebook instagram tag me at matt belair tag alex if you want to become a patron that would be great really really helpful there thank you to all my patrons and if you want to join the academy i would love to see you in there and we have the amazing soul compass in there we have um brainwave entrainment guided meditations binaural beats exclusive content from gets and all kinds of awesome stuff so we'd love to see you over there and you can find that at mattbelair.com as well and that's it so thank you so much for listening sending you all of my love and well wishes through the airwaves Let's wrap this up by coming to a state of peace and coherence. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with peace, joy, contentment, courage, connection, inspiration, enthusiasm, energy, inner knowing, and ready to take on the rest of the day. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.